Well, let's look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 here and then just have your finger on that passage in Jude. And we'll look at that in just a few moments. On uh, Christmas Day, this past Christmas, 2009, 300 people boarded Delta Flight 253 uh, in Amsterdam. And as they taxied out and lifted off, they set a heading going west towards Detroit, Michigan. But what the 300 people didn't realize at liftoff was the kind of grave danger they were in. And the reason they were in grave danger is because one of the 300 passengers was a terrorist who had gotten on board and was literally sitting on a bomb that he was planning on detonating and, in fact, did try to detonate it as they made their approach into Detroit. And so now, along with the shoe bomber, we have the cultural vocabulary of the Christmas Day bomber. And um, we live in that kind of world. And whatever you may think about um, security and security at airports particularly, I think you can uh, understand that the, the difficulty in spotting a terrorist is that terrorist looks just like the traveler. That's the whole point. You look at the people and you can't tell the terrorist from the traveler. You can't discern which one is which. At least you can't discern that very easily. And so when we turn to chapter 3 here in 2 Timothy, what we're doing is we're overhearing a conversation between the Apostle Paul who's dying in a Roman prison and he's writing this last letter to his friend, a young pastor named Timothy, who's left in Paul's sort of home church of Ephesus. And he is delivering some sobering words here in chapter 3 as a warning to Timothy. And you get the sense of this warning just right in the very first verse. Uh, it's, it's an imperative in the Greek. It's understand this or, or mark this or Timothy, this is the verbal cue to say, hey, what I'm just about ready to say, this is the, this is the place that if you've got it in, in your, with your highlighter, you're going to highlight this part. And he says, because in the last days, there will be times of great difficulty. And that difficulty is going to be a kind of spiritual terrorism that goes on. People are going to look the same as anybody else, but they're going to have infiltrated the ranks. And you're going to have to discern one from the other. And I'm trying to help you understand as this young pastor, that's going to happen inside your church. And how do we discern one from another? That's part of what Paul's trying to get, get at for Timothy. And in the midst of all this, you as the pastor, you're going to have to guard the gospel. So what does that look like for Timothy? Well, let's first just look at this phrase, the last days, because this has launched many uh, home group Bible studies or dorm group Bible studies into a, a long trail of trying to figure out, oh, what's these things such and such is happening, so we must be in the last days. And so you read your newspaper and you look at your life and you say, I wonder if this is the last days. And clearly in the New Testament, uh, this phrase is referring to the time of Christ's coming up until today. So when Jesus entered the world, when the shepherds found Christ lying in the manger, that was the beginning 
of the last days. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 is just a good example. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in many various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So Paul's using a reference here, this phrase, the last day, as a reference to God's time clock. And according to God's time clock, the fourth quarter has started. According to God's view of human history, we are living in the last days. Uh, According to uh, Paul's view and how we are living, we're, we're in the final countdown sequence. We're a part of a great relay, but we are running the last lap of the relay. We are in the coda, if you know what that term is. The only reason I know it is because I have a ballet dancer. And the coda is the very end of a musical piece or the very end of a dance when there's a a great deal more intensity and all the, uh, the dancers are out and all the musicians are sort of ramping up and you know that this is the very last piece and then it resolves and it completes the whole piece. And Paul is trying to tell Timothy, Timothy, you're, you're, dan- you're part of the dance of the last day. And, and the energy is going to pick up and the activity is going to pick up. So you've got to be aware of the kinds of things that are going to happen in the last days. You've got to be aware of the, the kinds of people you're going to intersect in these last days. And so Paul's pressing in here on this young preacher, and he's trying to help Timothy to understand that, Timothy, as the preacher, we don't have time left for recreational preaching. We don't have time left to be clever. We're in the last days, and in the last days, we've got to be perfectly clear. We've got to cut a straight line in the gospel. We have to help people clearly understand who they are and who God is. And what has happened in the person of Jesus Christ? These are the last days when when Paul's breathing out these last few phrases before he passes away. He understands this is the last shot that he gets. And so we are living in the last days. And as as a minister of the gospel and as as priests, as you move out across the community, you're, you're living in the last days. The activities picking up and we don't need to waste our time trying to be clever we need to work on being very clear of what the message is what's the gospel what do people need to know that are living in the last days in verse 5 you see really the most disturbing part of these few verses and that is paul's warning to timothy these people will have the appearance or the form of godliness I mean, that's the nature of terrorism. It's easy to say, hey, that looks like a terrorist because he's got a rocket launcher on his shoulder and he's aiming it towards my plane. I mean, that's really not that difficult. But the problem is the people are going to have the right form. They're going to look like everybody else. And in the Greek, the word for appearance is the word where we get morph. And so what's happening, Paul is saying, is that these people have morphed in to looking like one of us. They're shapeshifters. And you can't just tell from the outside which one is which. 
because they have the kind of form or the kind of appearance that would fool you. They're, they're going to have outstanding outward form. They're going to look a lot like a preacher or a teacher. But really, they're going to be a terrorist. They're going to have come in to a pulpit or come into a congregation. And you're going to say, oh, yeah, 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 they, they look like the real thing. But then you're going to discover, no, they've gotten off center of the gospel somehow. And Paul's going to talk about that. Well, Paul takes a look at these uh, imposters or these shapeshifters, and he outlines some of their characteristics, verses 2 through 4. And it's a difficult list. It's not something that you, when you, you're here, if this is your first time, and you're thinking, you know, we're standing to read the, God's Word, and you, you get through about 13 or 14 of these, you're like, wow, I just came on a bad Sunday. I mean, this is a difficult list, and without trying to go through and pick off each one, I think we can just see the bookends and understand that the bookends are shaping what's inside. Look at verse 2. The, the real fundamental flaw, Paul says, of these people is that they're lovers of themselves. Rather than the other book in verse 4 being lovers of God. See, the, the com- one of the common characteristics that's going to be on display is that these people are really all about themselves. Even if they're standing up in, in preaching, what they really want is for you to do something that benefits them. They're really looking out just for themselves. It's, it's all about me. There's some commercial or something that I was watching with my family recently, and you may know what it is. I don't even remember, but it says something like this. It's me time. I don't even know what that reference to. But that's what Paul is saying. It's me time for the shapeshifters. It's me time. I don't know if you've had the joy of listening to this song titled, It's All About Me. And I wouldn't ask you to go home and upload it immediately on your iPod, but I think the title of this popular song gives you a sense of the kind of culture that we may be living in. I just want to give you a warning. This is kind of painful. You know, it's all about me. I'm a specialty. You know, it's all about me. I'm an anomaly. You know, it's all about me. Who else could it be? It's infectious, so don't be jealous. Just join in this love feast. You know that it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. You're breaking it down. I mean, don't you want to have that song? And I thought of another song that only about three people are going to even know. But I heard it this week on the radio. I was like, oh, yeah, I used to like this song. Super Tramp. (laughs) I am sorry to even confess that where we heard. But I'm listening to it, and the song was good. The name of the song was Goodbye Stranger. And it has a line in it that only three of us are going to know here. Now, I believe in what you say is the undisputed truth. But... I have to have things my own way. See, that's the core. That's that's the fundamental flaw. Oh, I believe in what you're saying. I believe it's the undisputed truth. But guess what? I've got to have things my own way. 
at the center of the imposter is somebody who's just bent in on themselves. They must have their own way. And Paul is warning Timothy that in these last days, people will displace God from the center. Despite knowing the truth, despite reading Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, what they're going to do is they're going to recreate history so that really they're at the center. Mankind is at the center. I'm at the center of my own universe and my own reality. And so we live in a time, as Timothy did, where people live in the same terribly misinformed condition that the rooster lived in who thought that when he crowed the sun came up and so that's the kind of condition that we live in we think well when we do something gosh the world just comes up it it happens because i'm at the center and that's i think what makes the gospel actually very difficult to receive as great a news as it is somebody gets displaced when you accept the gospel. And that somebody is you. You can't live at the center of your life anymore. You get displaced. Well, the self-centered thinking takes root, and you can look at the list there. It opens up a door to all kinds of destructive behaviors that people engage in and so we look around the world and you hear people say what's wrong what's wrong with this world and what's wrong with it is that people are lovers of themselves rather than loving god after verse two i mean after verse four then paul goes on in verse six to provide timothy with a playbook so i'm not only just going to give you the character i'm also going to give you the playbook this is how these terrorists this is how these people operate They're not only look this way and have this kind of character. This is the way they act or react to certain things. Look in verse 6. They creep into households. See, it's a stealth operation. It's not a a frontal attack. They're going to go into just a household and they're going to isolate some weak person. And Paul understood Ephesus and he knew that there were some weak women around. It's not a reference to all women. It was just in this context These were the people that seemed to be the target. But Paul's saying, see, what happens is when they infiltrate, they're not coming right at you. They're going to isolate you. And they're going to get you in just by themselves and in your house. And somebody who's fearful, who's laden down with sin, is going to be responsive. Somebody who who lacks self-control, they're going to be easily led astray by their own passions. They're going to be responsive. So you've got to isolate people off and then say, okay, now this is, this is the right way. It reminds me of this uh, BBC uh, Planet Earth. You ever seen this? Great little uh, sort of ge- geographic uh, video series that the BBC put on. And it's just stunning photography. But this one piece of photography, there was a, obviously the cameraman was in a helicopter and he was showing, I don't remember, it was like, two million you know water buffalo uh, making a a trek across some place on the earth (laughs) you're like paul's on today buddy he brought his a game so as far as i know there are not water buffalo on any other planet 
But so you see these water buffalo, and then some distance back, you've got one lone wolf tracking them. You can see it happening. And here's the thing about it. This, don't you always feel this sorry about the water buffalo? You watch any sort of National Geographic show, and they show you a water buffalo. Why are they showing you a water buffalo? Pretty soon, one of them's going to be eaten. I mean, they don't, they're not that interesting. But what's interesting is the alligator biting the head of the guy and dragging him into the river. So you know something's going to happen. And so here comes this one lone wolf. And what is his attack pattern? He comes up behind him. He divides the herd so there's a smaller group. And then he picks out the little weak calf who can't run very fast. And divides the little weak calf off. And then suddenly we've just got the wolf and the calf. And at the end of the shot, we have dinner. That's how it happens. Paul's saying, Timothy, don't, don't think about somebody's going to drive a tank through the front door. You've got to be aware. People are coming in. They're going to look like preachers. They're going to look like teachers. And they're going to start leading you astray. And they're going to isolate people off into areas and then lead them in a different direction. It's a common uh, attack pattern. Notice one more thing about these people. They're, they're also people, n- n- this is not the, the, um, the terrorist, but the person they pick on. Because this may be representative of some of us. People who are always learning, yet are na- never able to arrive at the truth. You ever talk to somebody like that? Oh, they're super smart. They've read all these books and they know everything, but they just can you just get down to what do you think the real truth is? Well, I don't know, because, you know, could be this or could. They just can't ever seem to land on a truth. C.S. Lewis perfectly illustrates this in a great book that you should read called The Great Divorce. And one of the bright people, one of the people from heaven, has come to meet somebody he formerly knew on earth who is actually coming out of hell. And that person looks like a ghost. So you have the bright person meeting the ghost. And in this particular incident, the ghost was a theologian who had gone to hell, and now he's at the sort of the very edge of heaven. And this bright person is saying, would you follow me? I'll bring you all the way to God if you would just follow me. And this was their conversation. Will you come with me, said one of the bright people. Well, that is a plan. Of course, I should require some assurances. I should want to guarantee that you are taking me to a place where I shall find a wider sphere of usefulness and a scope for talents God has given me and an atmosphere of free inquiry. No, said the bright person. I can promise none of these. No sphere of usefulness. You are not needed there at all. No scope for your talents, only forgiveness for having perverted them. No atmosphere of inquiry, for I will bring you to the land of answers, and you shall see the face of God. Oh, said the theologian. For me, there is no such final answer. The free wind of inquiry must always continue to blow through my mind. To travel, hopefully, is better than to arrive. You see, we might live in a culture like that. Always gathering information, always gathering facts, but we just can't land on a truth. And if you're a person like that, you're susceptible to this terrorist attack coming in. 
Some people are ever learning, but they can't arrive at a truth. And in the last days, you're going to have teachers who will lead you astray. I want to emphasize that for everyone here, but I specifically want to emphasize it to students going to college. As I said, one of my goals for this series was I have a son who's going to college, and I want him to know, as everyone else to know, if you're, especially if you're in college, it's just so easy to get away from home, to get isolated, to begin to hear another way. Oh, it's not quite that way. Oh, it's not quite that way. And you just begin to drift off, and that happens to thousands and thousands of high school students. And so you have to be aware the imposters come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and usually they're not coming right at you from the front. Paul goes on in verse 8 then to remind Timothy that this situation really is nothing new. And he gives an example back from Exodus chapter 7. These two names, Jonas and Jambres, are tradition, tradition says they're the two magicians that Moses had to face when he came into the court of Pharaoh. You might remember he... Moses threw his staff down and it became a snake. And then these magicians that you don't know the name of in Exodus 7 apparently are these two men. And they mimicked what Moses did. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you're going to have people like this all the time. You're not special. You're not being singled out for special attention, Timothy. These are things that are going to happen. People are going to come in who have the right form, but notice they don't have any power. They don't have any real power. Jesus says the same thing, Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Remember what he says? You are like a whitewashed tomb. You look beautiful on the outside, but in the inside you are full of dead men's bones. On the outside you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy. And then look in Jude, just turn with me there, Jude chapter, just chapter 1. There's one chapter in verse 3 and 4. Jude is writing to a group of believers and he's saying, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. I, I'm writing to say, guys, you've got to guard the gospel. You've got to contend for the gospel. Why is that? Well, Jude says, for certain people have crept in. They've crept in unnoticed. And he goes on to say that they're people who pervert the grace of God. You hear what Jude is saying? Same thing Paul's saying. What they're doing is they're tampering with the gospel. They're, they're twisting the gospel in some way. And they've come in and they've infiltrated your ranks. He goes on later in verse 12 to say, this is what they're like, shepherds who, who feed themselves, clouds without rain, trees without fruit. Just like Timothy, Paul's telling Timothy, form, but no power. And so Paul is urging Timothy, Timothy, you've got to guard the gospel. Now, how is it you guard the gospel? I mean, do you lock it up in a room? You build a fortress and, you know, if you've got the secret handshake, you get to come in and see the gospel. I mean, how do you guard something like this? 
I think the clearest answer actually comes from chapter 4 when Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, preach the gospel. You've got to preach the gospel. And when do you have to do it? In season and out of season. You've got to be ready to preach the gospel all the time. And why do you have to be ready to preach the gospel? And he says earlier, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Why do you have to be forceful with the gospel? Why is that? Because the gospel is the power of God for what? Salvation. For who? For men. For mankind. This is the only power. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the power of God. It is not the messenger. It's the message. And it doesn't matter how clever I might be. It matters how clear I am. It doesn't matter how emotional I am. It doesn't matter my style. It doesn't matter how long I preach. It doesn't really matter what I look like. What matters is, I'm, am I clear about the gospel? Am I cutting the straight line? Can people easily see themselves? Can they easily see Christ? That is the power of God working to transform lives. It doesn't have to do with you. It doesn't have to do with me. It has to do with God. So we want to guard the gospel. We want to guard the gospel by preaching the gospel over and over again and reminding your congregation how the gospel intersects every area of your life. You don't get the gospel and then move on. You get the gospel and you go deeper with the gospel. You don't ever move away from it. Finally, Paul closes this little section verse 9 with one last reminder it's a a ray of hope that he wants timothy to hold on to and i I want you to hold on to as well because there are going to be times for timothy that he feels like hey i'm losing (laughs) the enemy appears to be winning why do why does paul might feel that way well he's in prison he's just about ready to get his head chopped off So there can be these times, Timothy, they've come for me, they might be coming for you, that you're going to feel like the enemy, the terrorists are winning. And and he wants Paul, he wants Timothy to remember, verse 9, they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all. See, see, at some point, Timothy, and you may not see the point in your little human timeline, but their folly is going to be exposed. Evil has an expiration date. And even though you may be living in a time where self-centered men are coming in and creating destructive habits and penetrating into your congregation, God is telling timothy one day all that's going to be turned upside down and used for his glory and our good let me say that one more time even though the folly of self-centered men may currently be winning may be creating destruction one day God will turn it upside down and use it for his glory and our good. How do you know that's true? 
That's how you know it's true. The cross. You see, back in Luke chapter 6, Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath. And it got all these religious types upset. And it says in verse 11, in their folly, they made a plan to put Jesus to death. And so in their folly, they trumped up some charges and they got people to shout, crucify him, crucify him. And in their folly, they made the judge of the whole world stand before a little human judge. And in their folly, they made sure that Jesus carried his own cross up a hill. And in their folly, they made sure that he was nailed to a cross. And in their folly, they made sure he stayed there long enough until he hung his head and died. But see, they didn't realize something that we must hold on to. God was using their folly as the means to which he was going to save those people. That's the incredible part about the cross. The the very folly of what humankind was doing to the the creator, the creator was going to turn upside down for his glory and for your good. That's the gospel. That's what you have to guard. That's what you can never let go of. And you've got to be careful because people are going to infiltrate that and they're going to sneak themselves into the center of that. Or they're going to water it down and say, well, it doesn't have to mean all that. Now, now the implications of really believing that and really understanding that even when evil men are winning, God can turn it upside down for His glory and your good are massive. But I can just give you one, and that is you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid who your boss is. You don't need to be afraid about your bank account. You don't need to be afraid of terrorism. You don't need to be afraid of who's in the White House or who's in the State House. You don't need to be afraid of those things because even in men's folly, even when it appears as if they're winning, God has said, I'm going to win. I'm telling you, live like I'm going to win. You do not have to be afraid anymore. And I believe Jesus institutes this Lord's Supper to say, Hey, you you sheep who have been scattered out there. Maybe you've felt isolated and like, I'm losing. I I feel like the arrows are always getting at me. I, I feel like I'm on the wrong side. I don't feel like I can go forward anymore. He says, come on, come home. Let's have one meal together. And let me look at you and say, I got it. I, I got it. Whatever you think is going wrong, whatever is unwinding in your life, and it just feels completely out of control, he wants to say, come on home. I got it. I got you. Let's pray together. Lord, it's not the messenger. It's the message 
of the gospel. And there are people here who have yet to really hear and absorb the gospel. And so I pray during these next few moments they would consider, well, what is the truth? For those of us who have committed our lives to you, as scattered as we may be, as as easily led astray by our passions, how we may have become isolated, and we're now involved with things we would have never dreamed of. Maybe people who feel like I, I'm, I'm, I'm holding up my end, but it just feels like the, the terrorists are winning. May you use this moment as a time to heal harms, uh, to encourage, to strengthen, to guide and direct in a way that nothing else can do because of the presence of your Holy Spirit here among us. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he looked at his friends and he said, this is a new covenant. And as you know, in looking at the covenants of the Old and the New Testament, he doesn't trust that you're going to keep your end. But he's saying, I'm going to keep your end and I'm going to keep my end. Come and I'm going to give my body for you. Come home. Take and eat.